0: Strange as it might seem, I first encountered Antonio Panino through chess. Stranger still, it wasn't through actually playing the game. Back in early 2020, right before the coronavirus pandemic overwhelmed all of our lives, I was all set to do a documentary on chess, intrigued by its remarkably long-lasting and multifaceted impact on so many different people and places. It came to my attention that one of the first recorded tales of chess came from a fable set in the late Sasanian Empire in 6th century Iran a sort of meta-competition between Indian and Sasanian kings to see who was the smartest. The Sasanians, having invented the story, naturally came out on top. That led me to Antonio, a highly engaging ancient Iranian specialist at the University of Bologna who was particularly well-versed in the tale. Indeed, he'd even written a book about it. So while my chess film has been forced to be put on hold for the indefinite future, Antonio seemed a natural choice of someone to talk to for a New Ideas Roadshow podcast about Zoroastrianism. A word that most of us have vaguely heard of, but very few have any real understanding of what it actually means. It's wonderful to have a chance to talk to you. I hope to get to this later on because we, uh, we obviously don't know each other well, but we have had some previous contacts uh, about uh, Iranian chess, which I'd like to get to. Yeah. But right now, I guess I'd like to start by asking you, you are a specialist in Iranian, in the Iranian world. And so how did that happen? How, how did you uh, decide to move into that particular area? And what was your career trajectory that took you in that direction?
1: Well, uh, I have to say that I, um, since I was very, very young, I started with a classical lyceum, which in Italy is arranged more or less as it was the the Prussian uh, Gymnasium, so it right. was a and it is still in part at least uh, a school where Greek Latin philosophy, mathematics and so so a very hard school uh, selective and uh, demanding for certain aspect and I uh, had a very deep interest for antiquity and the East, so at a certain point, I decided to enter classical studies at university in Milan. This happened in Milan. I had the opportunity to, to share and to have um, a broad vision, a large vision of Italian situation. Of course, at a certain time, I felt closer to a Berliner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you can you can see from my uh, CV, from my life, uh, the way I work, I behave, uh, that I, I prefer a certain a style uh, and uh, certain rules, but in any case, to to have uh, different souls inside, the different uh, inspirations uh, gave me uh, a certain opportunity to play uh, not just uh, with a piano, a piano, but with an organ on uh, uh, or with uh, with different levels. So I can, in this sense, really uh, move uh, uh, up and down. Uh, in in my also human background, so I entered um, classical studies. My idea was to work in uh, linguistics and in ancient linguistics, so in European uh, studies. But at a certain point in my university, a new area, that of Iranian studies, was opened. I discovered that it, the focus was uh, a little bit. Uh, restricted, but uh, in any case enormously big, because Iranian studies means uh, since the beginning of the first millennium BC, till practically today. So it is too much. So I concentrated by, I focused on my uh, interest on uh, antiquity, late antiquity and early Middle Age. So my competence, honestly, uh, stops uh, around uh, the uh, turn of the first millennium uh, AD. But in any case, uh, I, I realized that this area, which is just in between the Far East, Central Asia, India, and the Greek world, the Mediterranean world, it was really intriguing was really full of very strange things, which uh, uh, very few scholars uh, studied. Because, for instance, when I teach my students at university, more or less all my students know something about the religions of India. They heard something about the Vedas, about Shiva, Vishnu, Indra, perhaps because of the movies uh, or uh, because of some, some novels, uh, uh, Kipling, for instance. Right. But uh, uh, if you speak of Zoroastrianism, people uh, ignore. For instance, uh, uh, when I say my student that Freddie Mercury was a Zoroastrian, he was a Parsi, all they started to say, ah, that's is it possible? Yes, he was, <laughs> he was, he was a, a, a Zoroastrian. As for instance, another famous Zoroastrian is Zubin Mehta, the, the famous conductor. Right. Uh, unfortunately, students know him less because they do not follow <laughs> classical music. But this is another is another kind kind of problem. But I know that you like uh, classical music and opera, so you can immediately realize uh, the. The seriousness of this uh, of this I, reference. I, yeah?
0: I can, although I did not know. Uh... I must confess, I did not know that Zubin Mehta was a Zoroastrian. Uh, I had Zubin actually heard that about Freddie Mercury as it happens, yeah. but I didn't know that about Zubin
1: Mehta. Zubin Mehta is from a, a family from Nausari. Nausari is a very prestigious uh, town in, in India, where there is also one of the oldest fire temples of the Zoroastrians. Hmm. So uh, some years ago, uh, the Zoroastrians produced a movie which is entitled On the Wings of Fire. Uh, Unfortunately, it was only in cassette. I haven't found a a CD, but, uh, well, who knows? Probably it exists. And Zubimeta appears also in this uh, this movie. There is a sort of pilgrimage to his... uh, uh, family home, and uh, uh, this shows also his uh, uh, nice links uh, with uh, with his uh, background. Uh, but right. as as you realize, very few persons know. Also, because very very few persons know what is Zoroastrianism, and uh, and uh, despite the fact that it, it still exists today as a living religion, and it is one of the oldest religion uh, religions of the world. So. Like, all these things uh, gave to me a strong impulse to uh, curiosity, but also the idea that working hard in this field uh, gave the opportunity to write and to find new things, to discover new problems, new subjects, so you really uh, can uh, uh, can give a certain uh, impact. You can find some important results. Of course, working hard, but just an example, for a specialist of antiquity, to say one thing new about Homer. you need to write 10,000 pages, and then you can write one page with completely new things. In our area, you can find new text, you can have a completely new approach. So this also makes sense. Right. There, there also maybe,
0: and you tell me, but uh, one of the things which strikes me as particularly interesting about this area is that you have both in, in time and in space, you have a situation where that part of the world is at the crossroads of so many different places and so many different cultures. You have this opportunity to see the evolution of so many themes coming across as people travel, migration, as ideas spread out, both from the Iranian world and across the Iranian world, from East and West, because it's, it's located in what you might you might yeah, say almost them. an ideal position. And then of course, you have this incredibly long historical tradition that starts with, I mean, I guess effectively the Sumerians or maybe even beyond that, of people who have uh, inhabited that part of the world broadly defined, for such a long period of time. So yeah. it's just incredibly rich in so many different ways. Yeah, that, is, this, that a fair,
1: yeah, is that a fair is it assessment? Absolutely, is absolutely correct. And this also shows the uh, difficulty of this area. Also, we have uh, uh, problems in attracting students because uh, the students immediately realize that they need uh, they must be very uh, open-minded, very elastic. Very, They very, uh, cannot work uh, just thinking to have a very strict and closed field. You have an uh, immigration of Indo-Iranian peoples uh, reaching the highlands of Central Asia and Iran. Then they split, the Indians go, the proto-Indians go, to India, and the Iranians move on the other side. This means that you need an Indo-European competence, so you have to know certain linguistic rules concerning, and anthropological rules concerning a whole family of Indo-European peoples spreading from the Slavonic area, the Germanic, the Irish, and, and so on, till Central Asia. But also, you have to follow these Iranians, who settled in Iran, but they met other peoples, very prominent people. So uh, we have barbarians, practically, very rude horsemen, uh, a little bit uh, primitive, arriving in in Mesopotamia, for instance, and they found ziggurat gardens on the buildings. They, They discovered writing. These people did not write before. They discover higher mathematics, astronomy, uh, divination. They had certain form of divination. But, of course, when the Iranian world uh, clashed and uh, mixed into a new melting pot with the Mesopotamian uh, culture, well, it was a very very complex uh, situation. So you can see, for instance, the overlapping of a culture of writing and a culture of strong orality. For instance, uh, we can see that the Iranians uh, strictly uh, maintained every form of worship without reading until, in the late antiquity, they Lost the power, so also the economical possibility to maintain a rich and well-educated uh, uh, level uh, of uh, sacerdotal, of priestly education. Uh, they had to learn by heart kilometers of uh, of text. If you want to, uh, you know, spread them on uh, on a motorway. But they had to know everything by heart because a good priest, so a a true performer of a a sacred uh, activity, has the mantra inside. The priest is one who embodies the mantra. You cannot read. So in the Christian and the Judaic tradition, you have the text. You have the Bible or the Gospel or the Koran, and the book is sacred in itself. So, for instance, in the Christian tradition, uh, the priest cannot perform the recitation by heart. He has to read because it was, this is the classical Catholic tradition, because it is an offense against the sacred book. So the book... Moves through the church. In some occasion, they with franking saints purify the book and so on. in In the Indo-Iranian world, so in the earliest Indo-European tradition, this is um, unacceptable. The book writing is just for profane activities. You must know the text because you are okay. the text. So, so,
0: so sorry, to, sorry to cut you off, but, but. Uh, uh, but I think this is going to be the dynamic that we're going to have. That I'm gonna yeah. that every time I say something, I'm I'm going to have to interrupt you because no, you're no. an incredibly ebullient, charming person, and 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 I'm going to have to do that. So I'm going to I'm I'm doing it. In fact, I've just okay. done it. So here's my question for you. So as you were talking, I thought, well, is this really that different than the Homeric tradition, uh, where you had uh, uh, the, these odes that were that were memorized for a very long time before yeah. they were written down, and in fact. Right. Uh, my understanding—not uh, that I'm an expert—but my understanding is that they were they were sung to some extent. That there was a yeah. th- there was this lyricism that was involved, and 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 an understanding that uh, perhaps that was the the way that they they were spoken. But they were sung rather than just recited. Um, and so, are there parallels there uh, with the uh, sacred Iranian texts? Now, obviously, Homer yeah. wasn't. Well, maybe not obviously. He wasn't sacred in that sense, but he was perhaps sacred in a broader sense. And, and maybe there are some parallels there. Does that, does that hold water or does it not? Yeah.
1: No, no, this is, this is correct because uh, the oral tradition, the tradition of the oral performance uh, uh, is the same because we can really compare and find some parallels in the rhetorical use of of certain verbal expressions. We have a poetic art which follows certain rules which are more or less the same in the Indo-European world, from the Germanic, the old Germanic uh, Old North, for instance, from the Edda of Snorri Sturluson in Norway and so on, or in the Celtic, in the Celtic tradition, and, of course, Homer. Uh, uh, There are some some rules in uh, poetical composition which we can find in the old Indian literature, like in the Vedas. We have, uh, for instance, uh, myths concerning the role of the warriors, of the the soldiers in the battle. And you can find certain patterns which are attested in India in Iran, in the Celtic world, in the Germanic tradition, in, uh, and in the Greek. Uh, you are right when you say in the Homeric world emphasize a heroic uh, uh, tradition connected with uh, uh, a sort of monarchic, uh, of royal system. In Iran and in India, we have uh, evidences connected with a priestly tradition. But the priests in India, for instance, composed the Vedas for their kings, who were warriors. They were brave men. Uh, And in Iran, we have references to certain myths from which we can imagine that in certain occasions, hymns were recited for a public, not into a priestly ritual but in the framework of a public uh, festival in which, for instance, a certain uh, divinity or a certain local hero was uh, uh, promoted in a a certain way. So this is is common. We do not find, as in the Mesopotamian tradition, for instance, uh, speculations on the way in which it is written the name of the god. This is a kind of game, an intellectual game, like in a sort of rebus, I, I don't know the way in which in English you you define the kind of game on paper. You have images and letters, and then you have to reconstruct the full sentence. There is a sort of mystery you have to resolve. It is called in Italian rebus with things. It is like normally it is in the books where you have crosswords. When you find crossword, and normally oh, so you like can a, a find an a
0: cryptogram or yes, an anagram.
1: Yes, anagram. Yes, and you have images and and letters. In Mesopotamia you can find speculations on the name of a divinity. So we worship this god. And then you start to mention some of his names. Then the names of this god are reinterpreted according to the way in which it is written. So the word is composed or decomposed. And there are reinterpretations which are meaningless if you don't understand that the Kunev, the, 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 the way of writing, can be read in other three or four ways. It's an intellectual game which shows that at a certain point the Iranians met people who had really a completely different mentality. And they and these people had to organize a new kind of society because at a certain point the, the Persians with the Achaemenid family took the power and they were able, and this is the great, piece of news in uh, in the 6th century uh, BC to create a new super national empire so and um, they did not try to impose their religion their customs so they simply accepted the difference So this is called the Achaemenid Tolerance. But it is a tolerance in the sense that they knew that it was impossible to impose, for instance, their own religion to the Babylonians, to the Jews, uh, to the Greeks, and so on. Everybody maintained its language, traditions, food, way of living, and so on. But they had to respect the power. So this may represented a real big change and also favoured supported the ramification and uh, diffusion of ideas, goods, uh, tradition from the Mediterranean to Central Asia and India and contrarivised from India and China to the Mediterranean area.
0: Okay. It is, of course, important to try to provide some context so that somebody who hasn't studied this or isn't aware of this yeah. can have an understanding of what we're talking about and how we're talking about it. So maybe you've, you've mentioned many different things. First of all, there's the question of time periods. Then there's the yeah. question of the sacred nature of the text then there's the question of the text themselves, and you talked about Zoroastrianism and what yeah. exactly is happening. So let yeah. me try to take some things step by right. step, if I may. So in the, in the very beginning, when you talked about how, unlike the Christian tradition and the Jewish tradition and the, and the, the, uh, the Islamic tradition, mm. uh, which refers to the sacred nature of a book, the, the spiritual leaders had to embody the actual text. They had to em- yeah. a- embody the the, the concepts yeah. themselves and the words themselves. And cool. so this this made me wonder about a very, very basic thing when I, I was contrasting it to uh, Homeric odes and so forth, which is to what extent was this actually written down? Do we know that it was written down and, and when you talk about the text, of course, text means all sorts of different things, depending on who you talk to. But are we talking about an oral tradition that wasn't written down until such and such a date? And if so, when was that date? And what do we know about okay. that? So that, let's, let's start there, well, first of all, yeah. and then we'll try to build well, forth a, a series of dates.
1: Well, we can, we can start with a core of the uh, Zoroastrian literary tradition, which is the Avesta. Avesta is a collection of ritual texts. This tradition was originally oral, and we divide it in two levels. One is called Old Avesta because it presents some special characters which are very archaic. We have another part, which is larger, which is called Young or Later Avesta which is, from the point of view of the language, uh, simpler, we can say, and probably later, at least in some of its uh, sections. Uh, all this what, is steps- the,
0: what is the rough line to, to divide them? What is, what, uh, well, in terms of dates, have, what are we, we talking okay, about? Rough we,
1: have a, we have to imagine compositions starting with the first millennium BC and continuing until the third century, third, fourth century Later, we have only priestly remake of uh, of text already existing. So you can uh, take an old text and you can manipulate it. But we have to imagine that in uh, late antiquity, so between the 2nd and the 5th or 7th century AD, so uh, priests were able to manipulate but not to compose uh, really in a performative uh, or in a very original way. So this language was dead uh, around uh, the arrival of Alexander or a little bit later. So uh, around the 3rd century, really it is difficult to imagine uh, uh, Mazdean Zoroastrian priests uh, still able to compose. In any case they were not able to compose the oldest uh, texts in the sense that we observe that the priests speaking young Avestan, when they were manipulating the old Avestan text, in some cases were no more able to understand the complexity of the older language. At a certain point, around the 4th century, 5th century AD, so in late antiquity, under the supervision of a new dynasty, the dynasty of the Sassanians, this was a new Persian uh, dynasty, which took the power in the 3rd century AD, defeating another Iranian dynasty, the Parthians. The Parthians were very famous because they beat, for instance, in Karre, the Romans, and the Sasanians took the power, and they created a very big empire. They were fighting frequently on, in, on the east against the Huns and Central Asiatic people, some nomadic people coming from the east, and against the Byzantines. So under this new big and strong royal power, uh, the crown supported the creation of a written tradition. So we have to imagine that that uh, group of priests, very educated priests, in a fire temple uh, probably in Ctesiphon so in the main uh, town of the Sasanian Empire uh, started to fix in a written form the oral canon. So the oral texts were arranged for preservation and for studying. So step by step they were written down they were accompanied by translations in Middle Persian. Middle Persian is the Persian spoken and written down in the Sasanian period. This kind of language died around the eighth, the eighth, ninth century AD. Mm, this is a problem because you know languages do not die and the day after there is a new language. <laughs> so when Middle English died, and modern English started. So it, it, is, it is difficult. There is a phase in which you observe that middle Persian is getting into another language, which is early new Persian. But some features, some characters of these early new Persians still can be considered late middle Persian. So uh, there is a... And this is the, the problem. So you need a very uh, deep sensibility to, to catch these uh, uh, transformation. Because uh, when you study antiquity, you must uh, maintain your attention on the life around you. Because if you do not understand the cultural, the linguistic phenomena in your framework in your living framework how can you pretend to imagine to approach the oldest period so in this sense our work is a work of humility Uh, we humbly must try to approach having a very high level of sensibility for what is happening around around us so uh, for this reason, I said it is difficult because you have to know a lot of things about antiquity, a lot of languages, also modern languages, because the grammars of the old languages are in French, in German, in uh, in, in Italian, uh, and so on. You have to run from one grammar to, to the other, switching from la- one language to the other, and then for learning old languages. But also, you know to understand what's happening around you. So, it is not true that the study of antiquity or of very remote things brings you out of the world in reality you are compelled to stay more strictly rooted in uh, in your uh, in your life in your real dimension because if you do not have a domain competence on your uh, reality you cannot understand what happened uh, Ten centuries or two thousand uh, years before you. Sorry for these parentheses. No, but no, I think... no, no,
0: uh, <laughs> p- no. Parent, parenthetical <laughs> remarks are, are very welcome. Let me let me before I, I want yeah. to get to. Uh, hallmarks of the religion and talk about what, and the belief system in general, what Zoroastrianism really is all about and so forth. But before I do, yeah. uh, we've thrown a lot of dates around and perhaps I'm being yeah. a little bit didactic, but let, me give, no, you, no, no. let yeah. me give you my sense of some of the key dates because I'm obviously not an expert in this field. So here are my my, my uh, lodestones, as it were. Here's what I have in my mind when I think about these periods of time. Yeah. So I think about the Achaemenid uh, empire starting with cyrus the great sometime in the middle sixth century bc yeah. and in my mind that so i, I have these chunks so that goes yeah. until about uh that, that's the, the 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 latter part of the fourth century bc a couple of hundred years later when alexander the great comes through uh and then in his wake so i've got one chunk from about 550 to 330 then in his wake there is the seleucid empire uh, former generals of him to begin with and so forth. And this goes on for a while. And then eventually the, the, the Parthians, as you mentioned before, uh, take control of that part of the world and they last until, uh, so far as I understand it, basically the better part of the third century AD. So now we're, yeah. now we're, we have got like 500 years where, where yeah. that's happened. So that's that second chunk and then you and then then you have the beginning of the sasanian empire, um and that lasts from about uh what is it two forty or two twenty or something like that two twenty a d right. till about six fifty 650 or six fifty one when the, when you have the Muslim conquest that happens, yeah. and that ends officially the sasanian empire and then it becomes the uh umayyad caliphate and so yeah. forth and and that and that's what happens in that period of time so we're talking about a period of time which is the better part of a thousand years a little bit over yeah. a thousand years and, many, in, languages. Yes, and many languages yes many languages yes. well and i'm sure all sorts <laughs> of things are going on but these are again for a non-specialist like myself yeah. these are the ways i try to date yeah. things what was going yeah. on in a very rough no, no. way i so let's talk now about Zoroastrianism. Okay, what that belief system is, when at least as far as we can understand, when it came to be. So what is yeah. it, what are our earliest records or our earliest intuitions of when well, that started, and and the various manifestations that it that it underwent during that time period that I just mentioned? Yeah.
1: Theoretically, this is a very simple question, but it is one of the most tantalizing uh, <laughs> arguments in our, in our discipline, in our field. Why? Because, unfortunately, we do not know uh, nothing of historically sure about Zoroaster, Zarathustra, in, uh, in the oldest Iranian uh, uh, language, and no, we do not know nothing about uh, the true tribe in which he was uh, uh, living so some of my colleagues even suppose that zoroaster never existed so that zoroaster was a myth but not an historical an historical person uh, i uh, i am not so extreme in the formulation. But certainly, what I, I usually write and say is that it is difficult to speak of the personality of Zoroaster. In, uh, in the last century and two centuries ago, Zoroaster was considered a prophet in the sense of the Judaic prophet, uh, of the uh, prophetism of the Israeli traditions. But unfortunately, we, we have no ground for this. we we are unable to fix the area in which he was living, the date, the the cultural context. So really, it is embarrassing. And uh, uh, the hypothesis that in any case, uh, a group of priests left a certain tradition, probably under the impulse and the role of of, uh, a protagonist, we can call him Zoroaster, That doesn't change. We have to concentrate our interest on the text, on what we have, and on the cultural uh, framework of the pre-Islamic Iranian world. So we can imagine that around the first half of the first millennium AD, so between the 1000 uh, uh, BC, and uh, 700, 800, uh, in this period, uh, a certain community started to produce uh, in Eastern Iran, probably, uh, because Avestan, the Avestan language is an Eastern Iranian language. Mm-hmm. So we can, we can imagine that a certain community or a group of communities uh, produced a certain liturgical literature. At a certain point, this liturgical literature was mixed And embedded into a ritual in which uh, the core, uh, which was in Old Avestan, in particular the gathas, so the songs attributed to the prophet Zoroaster, were embedded like a sandwich into a larger liturgy in uh, Young Avestan. And the single gathas in the most solemn liturgies were really, really sandwiched. So you have one chapter. Of the Old Avestan text. Before, you have one chapter of a um, Videvdat, so the book, the text against the demons, which is in later Avestan, and of a Visperid, so another liturgy concerning all the divinities. Then you have the end of the Gathas in Old Avestan, and then you have other, other texts which intermix. The uh, the oldest text, so it is clear that the the gathas are in the center. They are the core, but in certain liturgy you have to recite them with intercalations of texts mm-hmm. in other in a, in another language, practically. And so you have uh, a liturgy which can be conflated, uh, which can be expanded. I see. Starting with uh, the Old Western uh, uh, core. Then you insert other uh, other uh, textual sections, and then from a ritual of uh, taking one hour and a half, you can have uh, a long ritual of uh, six, seven hours. So it's structurally predisposed to being yeah. able to be expanded and yeah. built upon yeah. in that way. Yeah, yeah, That's but this also also in the Indian in the Indian tradition uh, uh, this was possible. Uh, also, when we speak of the of the Indian uh, Books uh, of the, of the Vedas, we speak of mandala, which are uh, circles. So, uh, and you can put one inside the other. And the dispositions of the, of the hymns, for instance, in the Veda, follows metrical criteria. So, poetical criteria based on uh, on the meter uh, used in the poems. Hmm. So. This means that there is a certain deliberate artificial composition mm-hmm. which follows some rules we are trying to, to understand. So, in any case, uh, around the Achaemenid period, this ritual was fixed, was uh, 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 probably expanded through the Iran. Although, also in this case, we cannot say that every Mazdian, every Zoroastrian, uh, uh, tradition was equal to another one. So, for instance, in Persia we had certain uh, rituals and traditions, but we cannot say that in Sogdiana, so on the opposite, in Samarkand, with respect to Persepolis, we had exactly the same ritual. So I'm very uh, prudent in this, in this subject. I recall that, for instance, if you speak about Christians, how many differences in the Christian world already in antiquity not just because now we have Catholics, Protestants, Lutherans, Calvinists, or Orthodox and so on. But think about uh, the, the Christianity of the first three, four centuries. You have different churches with different rituals, with different traditions. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it took time. And in some cases, there is no agreement. You can have the same tradition within, for instance, the Catholic Church. Catholic priests cannot, can marry if they follow the Russian, the Russian tradition, which is not the Orthodox uh, tradition, but is the Catholic Russian tradition, so uh, there are adaptations of rules on or rituals and so on, okay, from the point le, of le, view me, of me, the me, content. Yeah. Let, let me just okay. back,
0: let me interject for a moment here because uh, I didn't want to stray too far into Catholicism, but I, I did have another point that I, no, I, no. I, I wanted yeah. to make. From what you were saying, from the, the very structure of the this, uh, my words, expanded sandwich structure where you, yeah. you, you, yeah. Yeah. you have yeah. this yeah. mechanism to, to expand your, your rituals in different ways. And there were notions of rhyme, there were notions of meter, there were notions of, of, of Boy, presuma- presumably elegance. It yeah. seems to me from listening to you that there would be an opportunity for people to express their creativity in a religious way yeah. uh, uh, through through utilizing these various structural mechanisms. So one person could put things together in one way and another person could put things together in another way. They could be expressing themselves artistically, but they could still be worshiping and they could still be devout in the same way. And that's very different uh, when you contrast that with, uh, with, with other religious traditions. I mean, you mentioned Catholicism, but there is, of course, this notion of what is the official way, purging heretics, making sure that you you don't interpret things yourself. There's a certain uh, hierarchical way of interpreting what should be the Hmm. case. My understanding from what you're saying, and perhaps it's not correct, but my understanding from what you're saying is the very structure of this religious ritual and orientation lends itself to a panoply of different approaches, and not so much in terms of what Hmm. people believe, but in how they express what they believe, how they focus, what they emphasize. Is it, would that be a fair statement yeah.
1: Well, uh, the uh, orality of course, favors supports this kind of uh, direct involvement and uh, But we have to remind or to recall that uh, uh, there is a phase of originality when you have priests who are prophets and composers, so they are also poets and they are able. Also, this is a theory to compete one against the others in mm. the most beautiful hymn to the divinity. So you start prying God using a certain performative. Uh, 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 verse line and uh, um, uh, uh, kind of uh, rhetoric formula and then I answer to you as uh, it was done the last century by Jets, Jets players when they were <laughs> on playing one against the others it is now Very few occasions we have to see uh, these performances because they are very difficult because uh, uh, can you imagine two very prominent uh, players uh, fighting in the theater, practically, one against the other? But also in that case, you have to observe that uh, improvisations doesn't mean that you can do what you want because improvisations follow rules. You must know deeply, your instrument, the music, the rules, uh, and, and you cannot just uh, uh, scratch <laughs> uh, your cello or uh, or push uh, the piano. So sure. uh, the same was also in the creative uh, phase of poetry. But at a certain point, the ritual uh, was blocked, was, if you want to say, permafrosted. It was iced, and you had to follow that rules, uh, without uh, sensible changes. Of course, uh, we do not possess the whole corpus. We have uh, just the most common rituals, uh, from the short rituals uh, to the largest forms, but probably we have lost uh, two-thirds of the uh, whole uh, liturgical uh, uh, production. Two because, words, really, uh, wow. we have uh, the Avesta, we have uh, corresponds approximately from what we can uh, deduce uh, from the summaries of the uh, big Pahlavi, so Middle Persian texts of the ninth century, which give us the list of the contents of the original Avesta. Well, we have just one. Uh, One third. Probably the one third which was most important not from the intellectual point of view but from the liturgical point of view because we have saved most of the texts which were compellingly useful for the liturgy. The most speculative uh, probably uh, rituals have been uh, lost or commentaries uh, of a certain importance are no more uh, at our at our disposal and we do not know of uh, probably other levels of rituals of esoteric ceremonies uh, which we we can imagine because with the same material uh, you can you know the ritual uh, is like a lego you can uh, compose right. and decompose you can arrange in a way or in another and uh, uh, in some cases the game is very is very uh, complex and also for this reason I say we have to uh, look uh, at the um, other traditions also to understand the way in which rituals can be expanded or made strongly esoteric, just changing some rules, the person who can attend, the way you can enter, and uh, the, uh, the way you have to recite the clothes you have to uh, to, to wear, and, uh, and so on. So most of these things have been lost. Also, we have another problem. Until uh, the 18th century, 19th century uh, in India, some of the Zoroastrians who escaped from uh, Iran after the Islamic conquest, and uh, in particular around uh, the turn of the first millennium AD, we had migrations from Iran to India. Already the Sasanians were living in India because they had commercial bases in the heavens, in the port. They, they made a lot of the uh, business uh, there. And uh, at a certain point, some communities from Iran moved to India. This is the reason for which uh, we had person like Zubin Mehta or uh, Freddie Mercury, and and so on, because they were uh, the descendants of a very old migrations of Zoroastrians. In India, they were called Parsis, so Persians. But in Iran, it will be meaningless to call a Zoroastrian uh, Persian, because everybody is Persian in uh, in Persia. Uh, But in India, they were identified as the Persians, so the Parsis. And these Parsis uh, created a very interesting community, which was one of the most intelligent in dealing with the British, with the Dutch, with the French. So they were more relaxed in uh, the uh, relations with the West. And, of course, they took a lot of of advantages uh, in uh, in this uh, privileged uh, relation. But also, they still maintained living uh, Three, three, four different schools of priests. Now, now these schools have been just reunified in one. So, when you have one school instead of three or, or four, you have one ritual and not four four rituals. So, we have lost inevitably uh, some uh, local uh, traditions. Okay.
0: So let let's go back uh, to not so much look at the Zoroastrian community in India or, or the, the various different migrating groups mm. but let's look within Iran uh, at a mm. time when it was the dominant tradition yeah. uh, at a time when uh, as you described it I guess roughly this if I understand it correctly roughly this transition from old Avestan to, yeah. to new Avestan when things yeah. became frozen or at least yeah. became more rigid standardized standardized, yeah. right yeah um, so you, you've given a very uh, comprehensive uh, understanding of different aspects of the form and the structure. Let's talk about the content. Let's talk okay. about what these people actually believed okay. and, and and some aspect of, of how those beliefs yeah. affected their societies and their communities and well, their attitudes.
1: In, uh, uh, in, a, in a summary, of course, uh, we can uh, uh, say that Zoroastrianism believes in the Uh, creational uh, power of uh, a main divinity, Ahura Mazda. So, Ahura means Lord, and Mazda means wisdom. More precisely, the one who can create uh, thanks uh, to his uh, uh, mind, because Mazda corresponds to Latin mens. So, Mind, uh, so we have a very intellectual <laughs> from this uh, point right. of view representation of the divinity. The divinity right. is uh, is a intellectual force uh, of creation. Creation, not in the sense of a creation from nothing, ex nihilo, because there is a, a cosmic uh, uh, difficult situation. So, so the the world is not yet in its full realization, there is a sort of uh, chaos. And uh, Aura Mazda is the one that, according to the uh, idea of cosmic order, Asha, called Asha, which corresponds for the people who know better India, to the Irta, so the cosmic order, according to this order, he organizes the world. And uh, um, he gives uh, the rules uh, for uh, the uh, life, uh, the opportunity of life for humanity. But in this uh, uh, scenario, there are two uh, opposite uh, trends, which are called mind So, mental forces, again, uh, one is called spent, so in the bountiful or positive mental force, and the other one is Aka, so your style, uh, the negative mental force. And the two practically assumes uh, the step by step a very independent role. So they became uh, became like uh, divinities or one uh, a kind of divin of God and Akamana or Angra Mainu became uh, so the devil, the hostile force. So we start from a phase in which we have our mass down the top, and then two mental forces which represent the two possibilities of freedom to take a certain direction in front of a divinity, organizing the cosmos and giving a certain direction. So one becomes a subordinate, allied of Aura Mazda, so we have Spenta Mainu, and uh, another one, uh, Angra Mainu. so the hostile, the negative uh, uh, mental force, uh, uh, plays the role of the cosmic antagonist. This model we can define as uh, practically monotheist, despite the fact that in uh, on the proscenium, uh, on the background, uh, we have many Indo Iranian divinities still living, so the past has not been uh, erased in one day. Uh, time by time, step by step, Angra Mainyu is raised and opposed directly against Aura Mazda. So, from one form of monotheism, we observe a switch to a radical dualism in which we have Aura Mazda against Angra Mainyu, so Ormazda speaking in Bahlab in Middle Persian, against Ahriman. So okay. at a certain but, moment, we have two divinities, fighting okay. one against the other.
0: Okay. okay, so I'm going to let you come back to this, but I have a, I have a few questions before I do. Um, so the first question concerns uh, the notion of uh, eternity or the origin of time. So my understanding from what you described is you have Ahura Mazda who... Uh, he somehow exists we ha- we are in a chaotic state of the universe yeah and then he creates or through his efforts somehow there is a structure which is created which includes uh i'm going to get these names wrong it includes the 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 bad guy the angry guy uh, uh mm-hmm. and it includes this other uh, sort of sub positive divinity
1: a, a mind, yes
0: mind. okay so um so the question is according to the belief structure did ahura mazda uh did is has he had he always existed is there any discussion about when time began or okay. in the judeo christian tradition we have oh there yeah. was you know god was immortal you can't even talk about time well, uh and 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 then something happened afterwards is yeah. there is there any discussion about that whatsoever
1: thank you thank you Howard, because this is a really uh, central point in the Zoroastrian theological speculation. Of course, I must be uh, precise about the chronology. So the, my first presentation concerning the uh, monotheistic semi-organization of the Pantheon uh, corresponds to what we can see in the Gathas and still partly in the Young Avesta but it's clear that in the Yang Avesta, the strongly dualistic opposition is growing. And then we have Greek sources which confirm that in the Achaemenid period, at a certain point, we have a very simple representation of the fight in which we have Ormazd against Ahriman. In addition, we have to say that Iran and partly Vedic India started to develop a very strong speculation about the concept of time. This is very strange, because in Mesopotamia, we have a very deep evolution in mathematics, in astronomy, in the observation of the stars, of the planets. So, for instance, they were able, already in the 6th, 7th century, to have ephemerids. So... Text describing the motions of the planets, they elaborated a very keen, very precise system of intercalations of the month in order to avoid that the month were going away with respect to the seasons. No? Right. So to maintain a link and an anchorage, we can we can say, between the natural phenomena of a season and the Administrative and political and religious calendar. So they were very deep in this, but you never find a divinity of time in Mesopotamia. Hmm. There is no god of time. Hmm. This is interesting. In Iran, you have in the um, Young Avestan certain innovations. So you observe. First, the idea that there is a universal time, or infinite time, called Zurwan. Zurvan is the divinity of time. And this Zurwan, called Akarana, without borders, without limits, so the infinite, is uh, uh, connected with uh, an alter ego, a double, who is uh, Zurvan having... Uh, um, the domination of time, of uh, limited time. So you have infinite time and you have a limited time. So you have two forms of time which coexist and the history of the world and of the creation is divided in two periods. One period of 6,000 years called the mental and another one called living. Six Plus six, twelve. So you have a sort of cosmic millenary year, so you have a sort of millenarism, of millennialism as you prefer, in which you have 12,000 years divided in two blocks, one plurally mental and the second one in which the fight takes place. So what happened, According to, we know very deeply this, thanks to some Greek sources, Plutarch in particular, but mostly the Bundahishn. The Bundahishn is the book of the creation. It is a, a Middle Persian, Pahlavi text of the 9th century AD, full of older doctrines. So we can say that more or less uh, this doctrine should reflect an elaboration of the late Achaemenid uh, period or something, some some years later, but not very modern. Or must, at the beginning. So, at the beginning, what does it mean at the beginning? It's like in the stories for children. So, there was a beginning, which is impossible, because it is in the eternity, but there is a we have to make an illogical inference. There was a certain beginning into a time without beginnings, in which God, or must, realized the existence of another power. Areman. The the text, again, as in the Tales for Children, uh, describes the universe as uh, uh, divided in two sides, one up and one down, which for us modern people is meaningless, because what does it mean up and down into the wholeness uh, of the universe? But, again, we have to work not with the agenda of uh, an intellectual scholar of the third millennium AD, but we have to try to think with the mind of uh, a man of the first millennium BC.
0: Yeah, or you can think of Dante, yeah. who also had a pretty yeah. clear yeah. idea of up yeah. and down.
1: <laughs> so, in any case, uh, we have Ormas who realizes the existence of Ariman immediately. when he understands this, he creates a sort of pocket into the universal time. He doesn't stop the universal time, the infinite, because you cannot stop the infinite. How could be possible? But he creates a sort of pocket, so the limited time, in which he starts to develop the mental creation. From what? From his own light, the Bachelor's text says from his ipsaity, quidich, from he himself. I am using an English word from Locke, like quiddity, ipsaity. Ah, oh, they exist. I, okay. They exist in life. They exist in English. Uh, my English, uh, my English-speaking students remain a little bit shocked when I say ipsaity or quiddity. The quiddity is the, the material, but uh, it, it is English. It is. But they were not trained to read Locke uh, who, you, who used a lot of these beautiful uh, La- Latin forms uh, or like Choser. Choser also is full of this. In, in fact, I have to say that Choser, some text of Choser like the astrolabe are, simpler for an Italian, much simpler than for a British, probably, because they are partly in Latin, uh, and so the lexicon is not so far. So, in any case, I want to say that Ormaz takes the creation, extracts the creation from his own light, and he starts to create the word into a mental form. So, like hypostasis, like uh, images, of everything which will be transformed into a real living thing. But this will happen in the 3,000 year which will follow. At this point, what happens? At Ahriman, who is low, this is one difference. So uh, Ormaz is intelligent, uh, is uh, original, uh, uh, sensible, Uh, Ahriman, of course, is tricky, but also has very many negative qualities. So he's stubborn, he's hostile, he's envious, and he's stupid in many of his uh, behaviors. So Mm. uh, the devil is not intelligent. So he doesn't understand also his own advantage. This is uh, something very interesting in the Zoroastrian uh, way of thinking. So Ahriman sees the universe which has been under development and likes it. And then he comes down into the deepness of his dark world and starts to make an antagonist creation, in which way the texts are very rude with an act of sodomy on himself.
0: But that is that's, so
1: mind boggling, ra- frankly. Areman ra- creates true a self sodomy act, which is a sort of if you elaborate this myth from the point, normally, my colleagues don't speak in, if you follow the Zoroastrian studies for two centuries, nobody speaks of these things because my colleagues are polite and they don't but but this myth is really is really deep because using some elements coming from the psychoanalytic tradition without to be a psychoanalyst, immediately you realize that this way of, of this form of creation is the negation of love. So one gives, takes from his light and gives out. The other one fucks himself because devil can have sex, but not with another one because there is no gift there is no interaction, there is no proper love, but everything is done in a sort of self-referential way. So the negative creation of Ariman is a sort of implosion. So the intelligent priests who created this myth focused on an image of the devil, of Ariman, very, very negative. He he doesn't give anything to the others. He creates using himself for himself. So, this is just the beginning. After f- the 3,000 years, the two beings, Ormaz and Aremans, come just at the border of their kingdoms. In the middle, there was the void, the vacuum, uh, the wind. So, you have Araman on uh, one side. Da- down, and uh, Ormaz on the other one. And they start to speak. Ormaz wishes Araman and says, well, how do you do? Would you like to come to my kingdom and to share the light, the beauty, the happiness with me? And Araman, who is mad, who is uh, a cracked pot, in the sense that... Uh, um, Zoroastrianism, in a very original way, describes uh, the behavior of Ahriman and of the people who follow him as a mental disease. If you look at the behaviors of the, of the Ahrimanic beings, you can find them into a manual of psychiatry. So Ahriman thinks, oh, if he offers peace, this means that he is weak. That he fears my force, so oh, right. I will destroy him. I will kill him. I will uh, kill all his creature, and I will bring darkness uh, wherever there is light. So, but what it is interesting is that uh, Araman likes the creation of Orma. So also this is another mental uh, element or proof. Of a mental sickness because he doesn't say, I do not like this thing. He says, It is beautiful. I like this. Sure, he's envious. He's like, yeah, envious and mad in the sense that he's like a serial killer who wants to destroy happiness, life, which he likes.
0: Okay, so this, this is happens really, after, after yeah. 3,000 years. So Let
1: me get the timing. Sorry, because there is another step, which is okay. foundational, So and okay. I need just one minute. Yeah, yeah. At this point, uh, Ormas says, okay, fine, you want to fight with me? Well, but we have to do this in a regular way. So why not to fight for other 9,000 years? Ahriman does not know nothing about the 10,000. He is inside the, the pocket uh, without to know. But at this point, Orma says, do you want to fight into my creation, into the world for 9,000 years? And he says, yes. At this point, Araman is finished because he will be compelled to enter the limited time and the limited creation, and he will remain imprisoned into a cosmic trap. At this point, Arel Ormaz sings one of the most important Zoroastrian priors, and Ahriman feels asleep, boom, on the ground, and he remains there for 3,000 years.
0: Okay, so help me with the time thing. Uh, so I, I get some of the... Uh, uh so there are all these different levels. There's the metaphorical interpretation, uh, and then there's all this colorful self-sodomy and so forth and so on. Yeah. But let me just get the time right. So yeah. I'm fine with starting off with some infinite time or at least not um, yeah. making a judgment about that. Yeah. Uh, then I understand that we enter some period of definite time, and that lasts yeah. for 3,000 yeah. years. And somehow through this... Uh, Interesting process. There used to be a sub-positive guy, and he's disappeared, or he, he's somehow made less relevant. And Ariman, the the the, the very perverted cracked pot, uh, after after this three thousand period of time, three thousand years, he has this confrontation with Oriman. okay. and then uh, he is resolved. Rather than to live peacefully, as would be prudent and reasonable uh, under the circumstances, he. He agrees that they should they should fight, and yeah. he commits to a fighting period uh, of at least a deal. So yeah. far as I understand it, is for nine thousand years. Yeah, to be Which, doing
1: that. plus the three of the beginning make twelve thousand. I see. So then after after that nine thousand
0: years, so they're locked in this struggle for 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 nine thousand years. Yeah. Now you alluded to the fact that he is predestined to lose this struggle, and I want to get back to that.
1: It's evident. It's evident. Right. I will show but, you uh, why. No, I'm okay. sure. So, I'm sure. I'm it, not. I'm it not, is uh, inevitable. You had Hello, I'm, I'm with okay.
0: you. I just want to. I just want to try See? to piece together what's going on. So, in terms of of we humans who yeah. are living here, I'm imagining that we are living in this nine thousand year period. So this yes, is happening. Yes, but
1: more precise. Uh, now I I, I explain in yes. which way. So okay. uh, we we have stopped when. Uh, Ahriman fell asleep. Ahriman remains for 3,000 years sleeping out of the combat. So 3,000 years before the agreement plus other 3,000 years we will have 6,000 years in which in the first 3,000 years Ormazd created the world the universe into a mental iconic, visible, but not <clears throat> yet physical and mechanic uh, reality. Then he develops the physical creation into a mental state. So in the second 3,000 years uh, he creates the things, creates men, creates uh, the the ground, the stars, the sun, the moon, everything, but uh, they do not move they are immobile, like the ideas in Plato. Okay. Just abstractions, immovable in that moment. But they are already physical. So, in the first 3,000 years, mental. Now, physical into a mental, uh, immobile state. After the end of the 3,000 years, what happens? A demoness, Jack, Jack word, which means prostitute or something like this. So a very violent, probably good looking, a little bit dark uh, lady, uh, which is a prototype of the, we can say, the most aggressive uh, uh, icon of the feminine. And of course, all this mythology is imagined by men.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. No, yeah. I'm fine. So, so, I'm, this, I'm assuming it's misogynistic. No, 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 I'm just yes, I'm trying to get yeah, the time right. Yes,
1: of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is 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 meant uh, manly orientated? So <laughs> okay. uh, I'm not responsible for this. No, I'm, I'm, not, not, uh, I'm, not I'm not responsible not, for no, any I mean, of it. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean. The public, the public uh, would like to know. We have to explain that clearly. Sure. We have to do with an old Iranian uh, tradition in which uh, the imagination, also the uh, sexual drive and the uh, development of everything is imaging from, a, from a, mas- a, a masculine, a main and uh, virile point of view. Uh, this is uh, uh, the, the reality of the sources, and we have to uh, analyze the sources as they, they are. In any case, uh, Jack compels, with a strong sexual appeal, Areman, who is sleeping. So she runs around him and says, "Look, Araman is like a frog, is described as a, a sleeping frog. She moves around him like a dancing lady, and says, "Grow up, grow up!" grow up our father that we will destroy or must, that we will destroy his creatures, we will kill the good animals and, and everything. And like a dead penis, he starts again. Okay, so this happens... So, this is another sexual myth. Yeah, 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 I, got, I got that. Just
0: let me get the time right. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll come back to the sex if you want. So uh, from 0 to 3,000... Uh, so Araman is not really as I understand it, and maybe I don't understand it correctly he he doesn't have much of a role no. to play so no. so he's not doing much from zero to three thousand then he, he somehow it. comes on the scene then he yeah. then he he goes into this combat and he falls asleep yeah. for three thousand years of course and then and then so now we're now six thousand years in we're halfway yes. done
1: and now he's rising like a dead penis. Okay. okay. That, that's where yeah. we are life okay. yeah but this Whatever. is this is very important because Araman okay. Is not able. He has no time and no possibility to create a living creation. So Ormazd has developed a mental and right. a physical living creation, still immobile. But he has the two levels: the intellectual, the mental, and the bodily, the physical. Araman has created a demonic creation, only mental. No physical dimension, no living dimension. This is important it, because the pattern is reversed with respect to many religions in which what is physical and bodily is negative and only what is mental is positive. Here, he is not the contrary. Here, you can see that there is a relation. The positive dimension is a mixture of a good mental attitude with a positive physical living. Behavior. The two dimensions together makes a perfect reality. Araman is only mental because he is a form of insanity. And insanity is not physical, insanity is mental. And then a mental insanity can enter into a sane, a good body and destroy. It.
0: So, so, so this okay. is
1: really original. So now we're at 6,000 yeah. years. Okay. Ariman yeah. so okay. finally wakes up. Right. And he feels uh, now ready to come back. He kisses in uh, the front, Jack, uh, and she has menstruation. She has menses. Okay. And uh, uh, this explains uh, from the... Uh, anthropological ter- point of view, the fact that Zoroastrian women as in many other cultures are considered impure during menses, but also gives uh, an interpretation of the menstrual period, because uh, this is a period of infecundity. So Zoroastrianism insists uh, uh, in uh, its main context on the idea of uh, uh, fecundation. So uh, The state of uh, uh, menses is a state in which a lady cannot become pregnant. So this is seen as something negative and uh, uh, contaminating. Because the uh, the kiss of Ahriman is not a kiss of love, but is a kiss of death. So instead of uh, giving an opportunity of, of sexual improvement into the lady, he stamps on her, the mark of infecundity. So, because this is a, a, a reversed imaginary of a Aremanic behavior. So, in any case, at, at, at this point, Areman, this is also important, asks jeh please, ask me what you want that I will give you. And Ormaz, who sees from the other side of the university what is happening, is uh, is afraid because. Uh, Jack could ask, for instance, to kill all the men, to destroy the sexual drive of men. <laughs> Finished. No more creation, no more humanity, no more life. So Ormazd magically create a mirage. So Areman, who was an awful frog, looks like the most beautiful... Uh, Warrior of the uh, Iranian divinities. Uh, And uh, Jack looks at him. We have to imagine uh, something like Brad Pitt made uh, in uh, in his best qualities. And uh, Jack says, Oh my God, I want him. So she, this is the importance of the living dimension. So Ormazd stops the Criminal desire of Jeh and gives her the sexual drive, the desire of men. So, in this way, women will inherit menses, but also the sexual drive, so the attraction toward men. In this way, he can balance the negative kiss of. Uh, of Ariman. Of course, at this point Ariman is furious, is absolutely upset, but he cannot change uh, what he promised. So, the Aremani army at this point attacks the good creation and uh, moving from the from down because uh, the Aremanic world is down and they are moving up toward the creation of Ormazd which was in their kingdom of light, they Enter, they break okay. the hold, hold cosmos, on. and hold they on. enter.
0: Hold, hold on, okay. how did we get an army? So so far, I've got this one guy who uh, who who magically, even though he's a toad, uh, he because looks like he did this.
1: He did this in the first three thousand years. In the first three thousand years, Ormazd created from the light, and Araman created from the self self sodomy. So there is an army of demons. Okay. Okay. And they remained for three thousand years without nothing to do. Well, so they weren't asleep with 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 him. They were just all twiddling or their thumbs crying, probably. Who knows? Okay, okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. So he's got an army uh, yeah. through through this mechanism, yeah. and now and now. So sorry to cut you off. I just need to get some and, understanding. And the
1: next and uh, um, sorry, the the second period of six thousand years right. starts when Ariman, Pam. Right. Enters the creation, and so the stars start to move. I see. The sphere, see. the cosmic sphere, start to rotate.
0: Okay. So this ha- this happens for six thousand years. I want to get to the cosmography yeah. and the and this yeah. and the spheres, and I'm I'm getting a deeper understanding of some of these yeah. things. Um, but uh, so so two questions. The the first the first question is what happens after that six thousand years. Okay. So, what happens at year twelve thousand? And my second question is, what does this? How do these happenings uh, correspond to normal people living their normal lives? What's supposed? To, how how can I place this in the context of your 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 yeah. priest who's living somewhere and the guy who has a you know a, a shoe shop down the road and all the rest yeah. of that? In terms of the times where they're living and what they're doing.
1: Well, from the point of view of the... So we have one problem, which is the uh, theological explanation of the cosmology. So we have other 6,000 years. Right. In, uh, in uh, uh, these 6,000 years, uh, humanity grows uh, with a lot of uh, difficulties because the demons try to... Oh, I see. Uh, so this
0: is the 6,000 years of sort of yeah, normal, yeah, in normal in civilization.
1: We, yeah, in which we... We are supposed to, right. to live okay. at the center of this period. So, in the third millennium, uh, Zoroaster is uh, born, and when the third millennium of the second block, so of the living dimension, uh, is finished, Zoroaster has thirty years, and he receives the revelation of uh, of Zoroaster. So, we have the beginning of a sort of uh, revenge of the good forces against uh, the demons. And uh, according to the Zoroastrian cosmology, Zoroaster will uh, deposit, uh, will put his semen uh, into a mythical uh, uh, lake, and this semen will fecundate uh, free virgins, uh, one after the other, before the end of the three following millennia. So, and uh, from these virgins, uh, we will have three cosmic heroes, uh, the last of whom is called uh, Saoshant, so the one who will make the world fragrant, so is a sort of uh, uh, rejuvenator of the of world, and he will start to resurrect all the dead. This doctrine is already attested into the Avesta, and it is pre-Christian. So people can say, oh, it is like uh, uh, the Christian tradition. But the idea that the three posthumous sons of Zoroaster will be born by three different virgins, and the last one will resurrect all the dead, is Zoroastrian already of the Achaemenid period
0: wow okay uh times three, this is the, over.
1: yeah yeah oh, so okay. the last three millennia have this uh, important uh, element uh, then i will later if you give me uh, five minutes i will pre- present also the end of the world so what happens at the Uh, with a resurrection, because uh, also this is a sensible matter. I'll give it to you right now. No, 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 go ahead. Go for it. Tell me about the end of the world. When the Saoshant resurrects all uh, all the dead, at this point, humanity stops to eat. Why? Because eating, which is necessary, and uh, it is also a pleasure, in any case, it is connected with with the need to kill.
0: Well, they stopped eating. I thought you said they yeah. stopped to eat. I thought they, like, they had a picnic or something. But no, it's a they stopped eating.
1: Thing. Yeah, <laughs> okay. sorry. They stopped eating. They stopped they stop eating. Right. Because uh, they were full of light, of their happiness. So it was no more necessary to kill animals or to cut uh, vegetables right. to, to live. Sure, and fine. this makes the demons furious. And they start, the demons, to eat each other. Oh. Until they are destroyed, and uh, only Araman remains with another demoness, as uh, which is the demoness of fury, who at a certain point wants to kill even Araman. Araman at this point invokes Aur or Mazda to be saved. Then or Mazda descends from the heaven. He for the first time enters the historical time and the creation. Because uh, there is a strong asymmetry between Ormazd and Ahriman because Ormazd has created the pocket of the time of the limit, but he was outside in his paradise in eternity. He controls the fight, but he is not inside. So Ahriman was inside, was prisoner of the time, prisoner of the creation with an army only mental and not living and physical. So From this point of view, the battle was settled from the point of view of the the result. But now there is something important, because according to the Zoroastrian older tradition, hell, as in many other religious uh, theologies, was considered eternal. If one is damned to hell, he has to stay for eternity. But in reality, in the Christian world, Uh, some uh, uh, intellectuals, some uh, theologians uh, started to suggest that this cannot be possible. So that even the worst person are not uh, uh, without a little drop of light, which could save them. So in particular, Clemens of Alexandria and Origen uh, two Christian thinkers of the 2nd and early 3rd third, third centuries started to propose uh, something called apocatastasis, which is a doctrine of the, a complete renovation of the world. So their idea was that at the end of uh, historical time, at the moment of the judgment, of the final judgment, uh, a river of fire would have... Uh, invaded the world and all the dead who were resurrected would have been purified by this river of fire. This idea is transformed into the Zoroastrian world. Even the Zoroastrian world at the beginning supposed that hell was eternal. But in later times, probably during the Sasanian period, new ideas coming from the Christian world Hmm. entered Iran and the idea that first, God cannot punish a person with an eternal uh, damnation for an historical sin because it is necessary a proportion. This debate is present in the Christian literature and it will be present in the Zoroastrian one. But also, the Zoroastrian developed the ideas that when all the dead will be resurrected, all the mountains will be leveled. They will be pressed on the ground and all the metals contained into the uh, mountains will be melted. And so we will have a river not of fire because fire is sacred. So fire cannot go into the hell from the Zoroastrian point of view. There is no fire in the hell. And the molten metal will enter the hell. They will destroy the hell and they will purify all the persons condemned to the hell. So at this point, after three days, which will be beautiful for the nice person who are in paradise, uh, but three days of suffering for uh, the evil one, all the humanity will be saved and they will be uh, transported into a new dimension. So the 12,000 year will be closed The pocket will be reabsorbed into the eternity, and uh, at this point, uh, the eternity and uh, dimension of happiness and of salvation will be given to the whole humanity. What happens to Ahriman? There are two traditions. One more simple for children, probably, is that Ahriman will be taken on the limits of the creation, and he will be beheaded this is very uh, very simple although uh, it can be connected with certain uh, uh, ideas uh, attested into the judaic uh, tradition and even in the gospels in the uh, in the uh, apocalypsis. Uh, but the most philosophical uh, speculations say that Araman is uh, given with uh, primordial substances. So he cannot be destroyed. He is primordial matter. And he will be scattered in thousands of thousand pieces, uh, like in a molecular or sub-molecular dimension, from which he could not be recreated, re- uh, he could not return to his original state. So Evil cannot be killed properly, but can be put in a state of impotentia, of uh, uh, lack of uh, power. This is the end. And uh, uh, so okay. here we can say that the, the influence of Christianity, in my opinion, uh, of, of a certain uh, tradition into the Christian world has been significant.
0: I have a couple of comments and two questions uh the first comment is just to reinforce what you said uh we talked vaguely in a hand waving way about different cultures different times uh, uh immigration or migration of peoples and ideas and so forth but what you are proposing what you are alluding to seems to be not only a very significant cross cultural link uh yeah. Uh, it, 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 in terms of something that can be isolated, but also significant uh, in terms of the uh, eschatological connotations. I mean, this yeah. is a big deal, the idea yeah. that all people who have been uh, condemned to hell are yeah. have the opportunity to, to actually... To be saved. To be saved. So this is an enormous yeah. uh, development, as it were. That's, I guess, my, my first comment. Um my my second comment is uh, it, it, just from my ignorant non Zoroastrian uh, perspective. It just doesn't seem like a fair fight, you know. I, I mean, you you have uh, you, you have one divinity who clearly exists beyond time, who represents. Light and paradise and 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 has these these powers that are uh, to a large degree incontestable uh, you you have this this other person uh, or this other entity who clearly can do all sorts of negative things but but it seems like the, there's a fundamental asymmetry between the, 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 the capabilities you mention in time, but you also mention another character I mean time I, I'll grant you is a big one but you also mention other characteristics you say the person is stupid in many ways he has disabilities he he he's vainglorious he's he's all of these things that one would think even if he if he were able to be on the same temporal footing uh my money would not be on him um so it's it seems yeah. it seems like you you have a dualism you have a dichotomy but you don't have a dichotomy of equals in any way, of shape, course. or form. You have a dichotomy of very, very different uh, power also, structures.
1: In in the Italian academic tradition, we, uh, we say that uh, we have a dualism, even a radical dualism, but never a diteism. So a double uh, uh, representation of two equal divinities. So Zoroastrianism develops a very strong dualism, but never a diteistic uh, framework right. or pattern. So this right. is, I think, can be understood also. I do not know properly if in the British or in the English academical tradition you use the word diteism, but in Italian we, we, use, we use it. Rarely, because the cases are not so frequent, uh, but uh, uh, this is a proper term, as that of the apocatastasis, which is the uh, renovation. And uh, for for the people and friends who will uh, watch at our uh, discussion, I would like to uh, insist on the fact that not only Zoroastrianism, accepted from Christianity and from the originistic uh, world, this idea, but it is attested also in Islam. So in the Islamic world, there is a theological, limited, but important frame in which the apocatastasis was considered inevitable. So God cannot abandon part of humanity to demons, to the devil, and to the hell. There is also a very deep uh, theological and philosophical idea. So the idea of of Origen, but also the Zoroastrians, is that the victory of God should be total. No negotiation, no no hope for, uh, no rest for the evil and for the demons. But if you have an eternal hell, this means that there is a kingdom of light, a dimension of God, but there is one part of the universe in its thousand possible parallel universes in which the devil, in which Ahriman, is still the king. Is it possible? Is this acceptable? The answer of, uh, uh, of these Christians who were heretics. End of uh, uh, the Zoroastrians is not. It is not possible because God is in all the things of the universe. So if God is the winner, is the total winner, there is no possibility for the existence of a parallel, hidden uh, hell uh, in another part, in an invisible part of the world. Of course, this is a matter of discussion, even into the present theological debate among the christians is uh, because Origen was condemned. he has been uh, uh, excommunicated by Justinian Justinian uh, uh, twice uh, condemned him in my opinion, and uh, uh, I have finished a book on recently just date, uh, a few days ago, dedicated to the River of Fire and the River of molten metal. It's appeared in Vienna at the Academy uh, of Sciences, uh, the Austrian Academy of Sciences, which is dedicated to this uh, problem of the apocatastasis in the Christian Iranian uh, world. But uh, my my idea is that it is connected with uh, uh, certain social uh, protests. So in late antiquity humanity started to uh, fight against inequalities, injustice, uh, uh, miserable com- com- conditions of humanity, and this was uh, evident in Iran when, uh, in uh, uh, the sixth, uh, the sixth century, uh, under uh, a king called Kavad, we had a, a revolution, a sort of proto-socialist revolution, li- led by a a priest called Mazdak, and this is called Mazdakism, which was a really a, a, a protest and a revolution in which people uh, tried to divide the, uh, the uh, properties, the gigantic, the enormous properties of the nobles to rob the women from the harems and, and, and to divide the richness and, and so on. And the idea of a sort of equality even in the afterlife, uh, should be connected with movements of protest, which were attested in Iran, but even in Byzantium. We have sources in Greek, in Byzantine Greek, referring to Mazdaqids, so to Manichaean and who, so to heretic peoples coming from Iran who were spreading uh, uh, ideas of social revolt. So, uh, uh, Justinian attacks uh, Origen and the Manichaeans but in reality these are not Manichaeans but are Mazda kids probably so th- there is an interconnection which is interesting and probably these ideas started to push to, uh, ir- to radiate these new ideas which at a certain point became uh, useful for the Zoroastrian uh, leaders uh, of the community when they were under islamic power because when zoroastrianism was not a state religion and the power and the law was not more administered by zoroastrian priests and you know to offer a more tolerant scenario for the afterlife was useful to maintain to keep people inside the religion. the religion look if you are a zoroastrian you have the expectation of a paradise in any case, although you are not perfect, but you will be given eternal life in the light of, uh, of our mass. Unfortunately, when every church administers the secular law, it is not tolerant. Yeah. It's very difficult to find it. So we have so- to reflect on these problems.
0: And, and, and as you're talking, because you've listed many examples of what you had referred to earlier insofar as the connection between religious and cultural traditions and social movements of the day and how these things evolve. Um, and that seems to be a constant theme with many aspects of your work. Um, the idea that even religious traditions that you might or spiritual traditions or cultural traditions that you might, uh, you might naively believe to be, to some extent, written in stone, are anything but. They're influenced by social movements within their own culture and their time. Right. They're influenced by social movements and attitudes and developments outside of their own particular culture. Right. Um, and this is yet another uh, example yeah. of this. I want to get to two questions specifically. This has gone in a very different direction from the way I had expected this conversation to go, but that's completely no. fine. Uh, that's that's the nature of a conversation. My first question has to do with Manichaeans and uh, Manichaeism, yeah. and you, you you alluded to that. And I think most people, when they hear about this notion of a duality, when they hear about a yeah. fight between light and darkness, when they yeah. they uh, they they will they will immediately start thinking about. I mean, the the word itself is used very often in a political sense in English, Manichaean division. In Italian, too. So so that is not Zoroastrianism, as I understand it. So, what is the difference exactly, and how did Manichaeism develop in that part of the world? Because, of course, it came from the same part of the world. Uh,
1: Manichaeism is a Gnostic religion, so a religion in which uh, uh, the idea of uh, uh, a descent from The heaven of the light and the truth uh, is considered uh, essential. And it was founded by Mani, who was uh, uh, a man of mixed culture, Iranian and uh, uh, Semitic, uh, probably uh, grown into a Christian community of baptizers uh, in the 3rd century AD. And uh, his main idea is that uh, the word uh, is negative because matter is absolutely negative. So the main difference, the most relevant uh, difference is that, yes, there is a separation between light and darkness, but in the Manichaean tradition, the light is pure because it is not poisoned by the matter while the darkness are intrinsically connected with matter. So our life into this creation is connected with matter. We are created. We have a body, and this body is a prison of our soul, which is of light. So we have to extract the light from ourself and contribute to send the light to the heaven. So Manichaeism considers the earthly creation negative. Consider sex, fecundation, uh, all the uh, dynamic activities of humanity as something of uh, nonsensical, because we do not belong to this world. As you have heard in my presentation, Zoroastrian considered the dynamic and dialectic link of the mental and living, which is also physical uh, dimension, as the machine which is fundamental, foundational in order to destroy darkness and evil. So evil is mental, but the fact that this is mental doesn't mean that it is pure. Mentality can be sick, can be disturbed, can be evil. So this is the main difference. And also we have to say that, unfortunately, the Manichaeans were hated by Zoroastrians, Muslims, Christians. Everybody hated the Manichaeans. And for this reason, the the use of the term Manichaean is not a compliment in any uh, language.
0: Right. But could it be... It seems to me from what you're saying, uh, I I can certainly see the difference and the differences or the differences and they are substantial. But at the same time, there are many similarities uh, between, uh, between the two. So is it the case that Manichaeism is looked upon as a as an offshoot, as a, as a, depending on one's proclivities and perspective, as a perversion or as a as a digression from Zoroastrianism, is it looked well, at historically as as something which well, which many, embodied some of the tenets of Zoroastrianism and then went well, off in some very different
1: direction? many, is of, my, that, yeah, uh, many of my colleagues uh, and partly I too believe uh, that uh, many ideas uh, in the theology of money were taken from the Zoroastrian world. Manichaeism was a strange religion which assumed colors and forms, more Christian in a Christian territory, more Zoroastrians in a Zoroastrian framework. Okay. Uh, the Manichaeans were able to enter the Taoist canon in China because their ability was in the adaptation of their language and their terminology. other religions from which they try to extract concepts which were fitting for their own presentation of a a cosmos and on the development of a uh, a world. So in some cases, you have really to read carefully and check uh, more time in order to say, no, this is not a Buddhist. This is not a Taoist text. This is a Manichaean text because uh, some expression fit into the readaptation the Manichaeans used of uh, uh, others' uh, ideas. The same Mani explicitly in some texts, for instance in the Coptic Kefalaia, says that he is the last of the prophets but that he is continuing the revelation given by Buddha Zoroaster, Jesus, and St. Paul. All of them. So it doesn't say Buddhism is false, Zoroastrianism is false, Christianity is false. They are, all of them are right. But their priests have changed the original thought because Buddha, Zoroaster, and Jesus did not write themselves their Gospels, their texts. But I'm writing my revelation so you can trust me.
0: Right. This is the last word. Yeah. Okay. My second question is a different one, but it it that is to say different from uh, what I've been asking before. But it does relate to many of the points that you've brought up. It has to do with free will. I, I understand that there the number three also plays a significant role. Good words, good deeds, good thoughts, all the rest yeah. of this. And there's a whole cosmographical interpretation of this, right. which... I don't think we're going to have time to get to because well, as I say we will have off
1: another, another okay. chance. To, where, where, where <laughs> but that's fine.
0: <laughs> but where I wanted to go with this is so let, let's imagine that I'm a Zoroastrian. Mm. I'm living in the Sasanian empire. I say, okay, this is, this is all great, but Hey, I know what's going to happen. Mm. I know that uh, Ahura Mazda is going to triumph. I yeah. know that even if I'm, if I don't behave very well and I wind up in hell, uh, there's, there's a, things are looking pretty good for me. I mean, I'm, it's not going to be fun for a while, but things are looking good for me at the end. Um, so why should I worry? Why should I bother? Why should I, why should I lead a, a, a good life? Why should I even particularly care so much what happens to me? Because I, I already know it's already been written. What's going to happen at at the end of the, at, of the day to, you know, long day. Um, so how do Zoroastrians deal with that, or is that a problem? In the sense that if I'm a subscriber to a set of beliefs, hmm. the core of which implies that it doesn't really matter what I do, that I'm going to wind up well. Uh, well, but
1: you, in any case, well, it, it doesn't matter, but this optimistic vision is, uh, according to a theology, which became uh, strictly... Uh, evident in the late Sasanian period and probably in the Islamic time. Right. In uh, in the Sasanian period, when the Zoroastrian church was very strong, no priest would have said, If you sin, you will go, in any case, to the paradise. I see. Because the attitude uh, changed. Of course, uh, Zoroastrianism in the Sasanian Empire was a religion with different strata. So we have never to imagine religions and uh, 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 religious peoples as uh, a block. We have, uh, as still today, different theological uh, positions. For instance, we know that in the Sasanian period there were at least three different schools of law. These people were all priests, all Zoroastrian priests, expert of uh, law and of right. But they had different ideas about uh, uh, the application of certain rules. So, for instance, the big debate is if you make a sin of impurity unconsciously. Are you responsible or not? This is uh, uh, theological. So, if you touch dead matter and then you go to the fire temple and the fire is contaminated, are you uh, guilty, we must uh, ma- uh, uh, beat you uh, ten times or not. So there is a debate with different interpretation, As in the Talmud, you have not to forget that the Babylonian Talmud was written in the Sasanian Empire, within the Sasanian culture, so that there is a continuous interference between discussions we have in the Talmud and tradition we have in Iran. Normally, we we still think that this world were separated, but we are speaking of a commonwealth, and in in this sense, we have to imagine the Sasanian society uh, as a, a society full of uh, uh, lights from the point of view of the agencies, of the cultural agencies, because we have different Zoroastrian temples and school. We have the presence of uh, Greek intellectuals, so pagans coming from the West. We have to remember that when Justinian closed the the philosophical schools of Athens, many philosophers migrated to the court of Khosrow, Anoshirvan, so the great king of of Iran, and uh, that... The Christian main church, which was a so-called Nestorian, but more precisely duophysite uh, church, was strongly active in uh, in the uh, area of Iran. And that they produced a lot of uh, literature, but also a lot of translations of Greek texts, not only in Syriac, but even in Pahlavi. And for instance, we know that some Christians' friends of a king, translated from him works of Plato, of Aristotle, and that they discussed and were teaching him. So even if some Greek Byzantine sources despise, say, oh, but this king was ignorant, but well, uh, uh, Kosroe knew the contents of a, a Platonic and Aristotelian uh, uh, philosophy. Did Justinian know? the basic uh, theological uh, and philosophical ideas of the Zoroastrian or of the Buddhist world. So, uh, in this sense, I want to to say that we have to imagine a a rich society, of course, in the highest levels, uh, full of uh, uh, stimulating uh, ideas and also with the possibility to, to debate and discuss. In this sense, so, Uh, Of course, a normal Zoroastrian uh, uh, of good family, rich, with uh, more wives and uh, slaves and uh, was uh, uh, linked uh, to his own interests. So money, properties, richness, beautiful women, and to have sons. This was fundamental, to have sons because the sons, the male sons in particular, will continue to enlighten the fire of your home, and they will offer worship for your souls into the afterlife, which was something necessary, compellingly necessary. So the Zoroastrians, for instance, invented the possibility for uh, adult men, perhaps two adult or old men, who were without sons, to uh, give the opportunity, to one of their wives to marry another man with a legal marriage, and the son born from this second marriage was attributed to the first husband in order to maintain the heritage and also the responsibility to pray and to worship for the afterlife. So we have to imagine a complex society. These are not primitives.
0: And that's a a theme that... um you emphasize repeatedly there seems to be some some people who have a rather rigid hierarchy when it comes to looking at ideas in the ancient world there does seem to be a certain sense of the only thing really worth paying attention to are what the ancient greeks did and everybody else was just deluded they were provincial they were I'm, i'm paraphrasing in order to make a point but there does seem to be a certain conceptual hierarchy of ideas, mm. uh, referring to effectively anybody who is not from the the, the classical Greek tradition as being mm. underdeveloped, as as being naive, uh, that you seem to be pushing back against very very strongly. Yeah, and uh, one. Concrete example of this is when we look at various cosmographical structures uh, mm. and very various cosmographical ideas. So I'm paraphrasing you. So let me let me just start, and then you tell me where I'm going wrong. But my sense of key aspects of what you're saying is something like, okay, here is the Iranian view of cosmography, of astronomy, of of the way the world is. Yeah. Um, it's different in many ways from certainly the classical Greek world. In some ways, it's quite similar. In some ways, it's different. The shapes may be similar. The shapes may be different. But there are a couple of things that we should be pointing out. First is because of our biases, in many ways, we are preconditioned to look at things strictly through the lens of that classical Greek tradition. And you quote David Pingree as saying yeah. something to the effect of... Uh, Hellenophilia. He right. Helen Ophelia <laughs> uh, negatively affects the history of science, that if yeah. we're too dependent upon looking at this is the one way and this is the only way, then, then, then there's, there's a problem. So there's that in terms of cultural biases, and we can get into the cosmography in more detail, but I think on a higher level, uh, it's, it's interesting to dwell on these points. The second point which struck me is that even the Greeks themselves didn't necessarily look at, their picture of astronomy or cosmography in terms of homocentric spheres and all the rest of this as the ontological solution, as what was actually yeah. happening, they were looking at it as a representation. So
1: This is Ptolemy. This is Ptolemy. Right.
0: right. And, yeah. and, and so, but you can go back before Ptolemy, you can go back to Eudoxus. Yeah. you can go back yeah. to all of these different views about how we calculate the motion of the planets, bravo, how, bravo. how bravo. we do things. And then you can say, oh, isn't this wonderful? There was this Antikythera mechanism that, that was found and all the rest of these things, which is obviously extremely intellectually impressive. But my understanding of your point is this is a representation. This is not meant to necessarily say this is the way the world is. There's a big yeah. jump to yeah. say this is how we can calculate things. This is how yeah. we can understand things. Yeah. This is how we can predict eclipses. And yeah. saying, no, 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 the world really is made of these, no. these exactly. spheres of the heavens, or, or what have you.
1: Because one thing is to, to predict the phenomena, and another one is to explain the ontology exactly. of the phenomena. Are Two different things. Exactly. And Ptolemy, who was a very clever person, said, I try to find the periodicity in a precise way, but what really happens there... I do not pretend to explain. Right. But this element has been not frequently emphasized. Yeah. It's very modern.
0: Mo- modern? Modern. Modern.
1: modern this way of thinking uh, is modern in the sense that we know that you can have a good, uh, a, a, a good theory and the good theory, which is correct, doesn't explain the phenomenon. You have a wrong theory, which can predict the phenomenon in a very correct way. So this is a contradiction, but sometimes it happened. For instance, uh, when the uh, heliocentric model became uh, uh, accepted, uh, calculations were many times wrong. So people were making the calculations according to the heliocentric and the geocentric. And the geocentric was, at the beginning, more precise.
0: Yeah. I think there are two things, at least to my mind, there there are two really important points to make one is even a model which is based upon let's just say the right principles can give wrong answers because it can uh, it can be not properly developed such as what you were saying about the heliocentric model and so forth but there's another assumption which is that what we are doing when we are doing science what we are doing when we are doing astronomy is we are discovering what's there we are discovering the ontology we are peering into the ontology and many people say that's an unjustified assumption. I mean, even today, many yeah. people say, well, maybe not many people, but some people at least say that's an unjustified assumption. What you are doing is you are creating models just yeah. like the models that the Sasanians are creating and just like the models that, that mm. uh, Ptolemy was creating and, and your job and the only, the, the only thing you can do yeah. is to come up with a model that predicts what's going to happen. And that's but, oh, it. Uh,
1: you, sorry, the problem is with religion. Because uh, in science, you accept that your framework can be uh, shown wrong. When when another one shows that you are wrong, you have to observe the error and to say, okay, I have to change and improve the model. This is science. But in theology, this is different. Because uh, your framework is blocked. If you change the frame, you change the religion. This is the big problem. So the the problem I've tried to observe is when certain ideas which were wrong from the scientific point of view were maintained and contradictory assembled, joined with new ideas, which were correct, in order to save the Religious tradition. This, for instance, hap- happened in the Zoroastrian world when the astronomers perfectly knew that the stars were very far from the Earth, but they continued to say the star belong to the lowest heaven uh, of the universe and the moon is beyond, which is crazy. But they knew. But this was a religious tradition. So... This is a problem.
0: So you wrote about that and you wrote about how there were three different levels. Yeah. Uh, uh, as I understand it, there were the first there were the stars, as you just mentioned. The moon closest, and the sun. Right. Then the moon, then the sun. And presumably the analogy is that because Ahura yeah. uh, Mazda represented light, then yeah. that would be at the highest level. And that's yeah. where the sun of
1: light. would be. Yeah.
0: But this notion that they knew. That the stars were further away than the moon, which is, of course, not the slightest bit surprising. That they would have known that, to the best of your knowledge, and maybe there are no sources of this. Were there controversies? Were there discussions? Were there debates? Was there any sense that uh, of a rebel movement at all that would be present in their understanding?
1: This uh, this idea was uh, an idea attested already in the Mesopotamian sources and uh, in the Zoroastrian one. Even some uh, Greek. Uh, philosophers accepted it. Hmm. But in uh, Sasanian times, everybody who was expert in astronomy knew that this was wrong. But in any case, uh, the appearance was maintained for theological reasons. We don't have uh, discussions in, uh, in the theological text, but presumably we can say that in the secret rooms of the uh, uh, of the observatories, people uh, discuss these things, saying we have to say the appearance, we have to say the tradition, but we go on in making right calculations. Because uh, in, in this sense, we have to uh, to imagine that people were um, uh, more prudent, so they did not like to open confrontations uh, with. Uh, with the church, in particular, when the church did not like uh, contradictions.
0: But maybe we could put it another way, or, or perhaps well, I, I could ask it in another way. Might it be the case that what they meant by doing well, what we would call doing astronomy yeah. is different? So what, what we think we're doing by doing astronomy, or let's say doing cosmology, is mm. we're discovering the underlying laws of the heavens or we are we are trying to understand the physical mechanisms or at yeah. least the causal mechanisms for why something happens yeah might that be a somewhat foreign or at least different notion to them if you're approaching the situation with the idea that look i already have my framework i already have my set of beliefs as to what is happening what is where where the great eschatological battles are, are happening and so forth, oh. then you are looking at your observations of the heavens as a way of justifying, corroborating, illustrating things that you already believe. And that naturally leads you to a different approach. Would that be fair or is that just wrong and no, these guys really were interested in, in, in trying oh. to, to, to do what we yeah. would call modern science, but they just had to sweep a few things under the rug?
1: Well, uh, we have to do with uh, groups of scholars who knew other languages who were able some of them at least to, to translate to discuss with others so with persons with a very probably high level of skepticism and uh, of uh, uh, intelligent uh, insight in the sources and in the texts so we can find different attitudes. This is, uh, this is evident. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would like to say that uh, they more or less had a common knowledge uh, of the level uh, which was uh, gained in late antiquity in the Mediterranean area. With uh, the difference, you can find the most important difference in the predictions. So when you move to astrology, so when, uh, after an elaboration of the astronomical data, you start to give uh, interpretations. In that case, uh, you mix uh, many other cultural elements, and you can find uh, even interesting differences. But I think on the basic uh, astronomical rules, the knowledge of the mathematical parameters, uh, and so on, in the 3rd, 4th, 5th century AD, they had more or less the same manuals.
0: And were they as mathematically inclined? Uh, I wanted to ask about that when I was yeah. reading your book. It wasn't as clear to me. So yeah. I when I think of people, I mentioned Eudoxus earlier. Uh, well, uh, but they I mentioned, There's obviously Archimedes. I mean, there, there are people who really... I mean, both of these guys were pretty close to developing yeah. calculus, right? I mean, they yeah. were They were really on the threshold. Were these ideas... Were they popular? Were there schools of, of great concentration of learning in mathematical areas? Was this a fundamental part of the Sasanian tradition or yeah. was this not something that Ptolemy it, it was? Much
1: part, about? It was part of a formation of their uh, background. Uh, so probably they even did not need to translate the astronomical tables of Ptolemy. Hmm because uh, we have imagined if they have translated, but to write sexagesimal numbers in Greek in uh, Pahlavi would mean to have uh, uh, very large uh, papyri or very big uh, textual uh, material sources. I think it was much more common for them to read the numbers in the way the Greek wrote them. This is... uh, this is just what i uh, I imagined and very practical and comfortable and probably even the most tricky chapters in Greek were read directly in Greek so as uh, when I speak with uh, um, uh, persons who are not scholars, uh, they usually ask me but why you have written this book in English uh, why you do not write it in Italian but I say uh, the level of complexity of this book is uh, 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 so high that the language, the English, is not the problem. Yeah. So uh, it will be a difficult book in French, in German, in Italian. And considering the international... Uh, Network of my readers and the public of scholars and persons interested in these matters, uh, I prefer to write it in English. Uh, there is no no reason to to to, to do this in uh, in Italian as a main my first first choice. Uh, but no, people who are not scholar do not understand this.
0: Yeah. Let me ask just a few more questions, because you've given a lot of your time, and I'm very, very grateful for mm. it. We didn't get to the chess thing, but perhaps another time. And, now and uh...
1: We will have another one. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think so.
0: Uh, but... I would like that. I'd like to ask a different question than what we've been talking about, but still, I think, related, which is, to what extent do you think contemporary Iranian people... Mm are influenced subconsciously or otherwise by their long and glorious heritage. So we're talking about a a situation where, uh, as we mentioned before, the, uh, the, the Islamic uh, takeover of the Sassanian Empire was in the you know 650 or 651 or something like that. So we've got an awfully long time period. And nowadays, when you mention the word this Iran, a, people look at a uh, you know theocracy and they uh, look at an Ayatollah, and that's all they think of when they hear the word Iran. This is a
1: this is a question with two horns. Okay <laughs> one one horn is uh, uh, concerned the political aspect. So. Uh, as uh, it happened during uh, the Italian fascism, when Rome was emphasized by Mussolini, uh, to emphasize in a certain way the Achaemenid or the Sassanian past could mean uh, a certain certain emphasis for a political imperial idea of the role of Iran. So the Shah played this uh, uh, game And it was dramatically negative for the Iranian studies because uh, the other ones, uh, the Islamic power, of course, uh, started to hate still even more the Iranian past. Uh, It was um, a miracle that the best monuments of Iran were saved uh, and not destroyed and and so on. Uh, This is one one part. So there is a certain uh, hostility. Uh, due also to the political use of, uh, uh, of the symbols of the pre-Islamic uh, power. On the other hand, uh, the Iranians, who are mostly Muslim, uh, are not Arab. If you define, if you speak with a Persian or an Iranian people and you say, uh, you who are uh, Arabic, uh, and uh, you will have an enemy immediately. Uh, They they are very proud of their past. They have, well, in the average, they have a limited knowledge of their own past, in the sense that at least in uh, in Italy or in, uh, in the European tradition, we have schools where we can still learn the languages of the Greek and Latin traditions. In the um, Iranian contemporary world, you cannot have a reasonable, uh, even superficial uh, knowledge of the Zoroastrian, uh, or it is uh, dangerous of a Manichaean of a Manichaean uh, tradition. It is too technical, too difficult, and probably very far from the political interests of the nation. Still today, uh, we we observe that it is difficult even to learn Greek and Latin in Iran. If you go to the University of Tehran, uh, you can find few scholars who know, but this is not uh, a normal knowledge. But the idea that uh, this heritage has uh, Distinguished Iran in its history, even in the Islamic period, is uh, well known. Well known also because we have some Muslim special traditions in Iran, for instance, the Ismaili and all the esoteric uh, Islamic uh, uh, traditions. Uh, is something which is strongly connected with Zoroastrianism. Uh, This matter has been deeply studied by a French scholar, Corbin, Henri Corbin. And uh, uh, also, you have to observe now an increasing interest, in particular from the point of view of the cultural heritage. So, archaeology, numismatics, uh, and other disciplines, uh, even philological disciplines, which show a certain interest so i have to say there are uh, some students uh, uh, from iran who come to the west or even in iran study in a very serious way the pre-islamic languages avesta and so on i still have some pupils who live in iran and who write me frequently for uh, uh, scholarly subject and matter so we can hope in a better future from this point of view
0: yeah My second last question concerns your current research interests. Uh, They're very broad. You've been seemingly coming out with one book after another. But I'm curious to know what you're most interested in right at the moment. What are the things that are really captivating you, that are really tantalizing you, that you'd like to understand from a research perspective, uh, and that you're dying to be uh, spending as much time as possible on?
1: Well, I have been uh, working in uh, the last uh, year on two subjects uh, which will be soon published. One book which will appear in Paris at the Ecole Pratique des Études, It will be a French book in this case, uh, which will be dedicated to the uh, uh, the priestly college performing the sacrifice. So I have studied the... uh, organization of the ritual from the point of view of the role of the priests and of the uh, mimetic the mirrored uh, representation played by these priests who correspond to divinities in the heaven. So there is a kind of esoteric idea in which we have a college of priests working on the ground on the earth and in the normal time we live And at the same time, Aura Mazda, with uh, some divinities, are sacrificing in the heaven until they join together.
0: Sorry. So So what are they they sacrificing? How does that work? uh,
1: Sacrifices, uh, just they perform a ritual. They can, at the end of time, before the end of the world, they will sacrifice an enormous white bull. But uh, normally, when you have... uh, you had because now the sacrifice, the ritual, uh, a ritual also without even without uh, and an, uh, the killing of an animal, which is now symbolically performed, no more uh, beaten and killed on uh, on the sacrificial ground, but when you perform a ritual in which you have the complete group of seven priests plus their leader, you can see that every priest represents a divinity. and at a certain point, the divinity is within him. So the idea is that there is a correspondence between the action played by the priest and the presence of a divinity. So I, am, I have studied this uh, dynamic uh, aspect of the ritual performance, which is, uh, which is in part what happens into a Christian mass, when the priest says that this is my body, and this is not his body, it's the body of Christ. But uh, this means that he and Christ in that moment are the same person. So there is a mimetic uh, fusion of uh, of two things. Uh, This matter was studied in a very detailed way in a not frequently read book of uh, uh, Carl Gustav Jung, who studied the psychological dimension of the Christian rituality in the Catholic mass. It is an interesting... It's a booklet, uh, very, very interesting.
0: So I'm just trying to get, get, get an understanding of, of, yeah. of the key ideas. So you have these Zoroastrian priests, yeah. and the idea is that through this particular ritual that they are During the in,
1: ritual, they open the time. They open the time in the sense that they get out of a limited time, and they join the eternal time. And when they join the eternal time and the divinities come down from the heaven to meet them, the divinity, in- the divinities inhabit, enter all of them. And so you have a moment in the, of the ritual in which you are no more in this world, in this time, and in which the priests and the gods are all together there.
0: But it is only the. It's only the priests that, that engage in this mimetic structure.
1: Only the priests. Only the priests. I see. Only, okay. only only, uninitiated can have access to this level. It is unclear if the sponsor of a sacrifice, as in India, can be in a certain form promoted and given the opportunity to share this dimension. We we do not have sufficient texts to be clear on this. It could be possible. In India, this is possible through a special initiation of a, of a sponsor of a sacrifice, who is briefly promoted to the rank of a priest, and then he is dismissed.
0: Okay. And in this... Book that you're working on. Perhaps you've already written it. I'm not. I'm not. It certain, is. It, it is
1: finished. Must... It is given. They have okay. to give me the pagination. I'm waiting for it. Okay. okay. So, <laughs>
0: so in this book, which has been written, yeah. do you also take a page, as it were, out of Carl Jung, and do you say, uh, yeah. do you start to interpret the particular sacrificial actions on a, on a metaphorical level, yeah. on a societal oh, we, level?
1: We can say mimetic, a mimetic level, because right. there is a an imitation, and a certain point a representation. Right. Uh, but this is happens in many religions. This is uh, sure, frequently sure. attested in, uh, for instance, in the Vedic uh, uh, religion, which is closer to Zoroastrianism.
0: Okay. So there are more questions asked there, but I won't. You've answered that. And you said there was a second... Uh, a second uh, which are... is
1: dedicated to the uh, the so-called traditional date of, of Zoroaster, so to the uh, Zoroastrian in, inner chronologies and uh, their uh, role in, uh, in late antiquity. So what, what was stated about the life of Zoroaster and uh, uh, his date? So is, you, uh, you,
0: must have a, you must have a thesis. So when, well, so, so what
1: I, I, well I, I do not discuss about the real Zoroaster. My problem there is about the traditional date of Zoroaster. The traditional date of Zoroaster is placed 258 years before Alexander. But this should mean that we should put uh, Zoroaster in the, uh, between the 7th and the beginning of the 6th uh, century, but in reality, yeah. the chronology of Zoroaster is peculiar because it corresponds. The beginning of the uh, of the era of Zoroaster corresponds to the Seleucid era. So we an era which is uh, which starts after the death of Alexander. Yeah. So this means uh, that uh, it we have a Zoroaster. It, it is completely. Wrong from the historical point of view, but it's ideological. But this is us to discover the hot water. But the problem is that nobody, nobody. Underline this uh, in the sense that all my colleagues insist on the fact that Zoroaster has to be put 258 years before Alexander. But so I, is two, 258
0: is an incredibly precise yes. number. I mean,
1: uh, it's incredibly precise, but, uh, but you wrong. know, Zoroaster had a rele- <laughs> had a revelation 42 years uh, when he was 42. So it could be two uh, oh, 258 plus 42. It could be even a cycle of conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, so there are various uh, uh, explanations. And Some of my colleagues, using uh, the idea that it is a, so a very precise date, started to say this is the true, the true date of the roster. Uh, I'm I'm trying to show that the decision to fix the beginning of the era of Zoroaster on putting it on the Seleucid era was a way of the Zoroastrians to uh, revenge Alexander's invasion and to delete the uh, Macedonian and Greek past and invent a fake chronology with an ideological uh, implication.
0: I see. So there was a political and ideological yeah, aspect yeah, yeah. to okay, so, it. So I understand that your, your motivation is to look at it from the acknowledged time of the Zoroastrian era yeah, rather than yeah. to, to weigh in on whether or not Zoroaster actually existed well, or not.
1: This but is impossible. I wanna, but I
0: have you <laughs> no. But I have you here. You must have a feeling. You must have a. I mean, a completely non-academic, non-scholarly well, my, feeling. No, no, I want to know: yes or no? Did he exist in your view?
1: Uh, well, your I, uh, I say that realistically, it is possible. That oh, we no, have No, that's a weasel.
0: Oh, come no, on, that's we- a weaselly thing. You have to. You have to give I- me a speculation. Do you think he exists? When you're in your heart of hearts, um, and this is completely non-academic, so it's it's you know nobody's would, going to I cite would, this. I would like. It would be nice. Now, that's another answer. I, I, I uh, want to know what you really believe. Uh,
1: really, I am a skeptical person. So, okay, so, no, uh, okay. so no, you so, don't think so? Mm, no, I cannot say because I, <laughs> I, I, I do not. I cannot say no. I say I don't, I have no uh, evidences to say yes or no. I think that it is reliable to think that there was one person who started because in general, some new ideas correspond to the action to the activity of one person so i would say there is one person in this sense i i think it could be yes see uh, we can we can imagine one person but of this person we can we cannot say practically nothing because we have no historical documents so in That's this fine. sense its impact on history and on on our interpretation is uh, Zero. This is the problem.
0: I'm going to mark you down for a yes anyway on that question. Okay. Based upon what you said.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. I've taken up a lot of your
0: time, uh, and we've but we still have a lot of things that we didn't get around to, to discussing. But I think we should end now for everybody's sake. And you yeah. should go off and have a very enjoyable birthday meal, by the way. Happy birthday. Yeah. And, Thank you. Uh, but <laughs> but So before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, is there anything in particular that you thought... That we didn't spend enough time on, or that you wanted to add, or you wanted to clarify, or you wanted to say say differently, or you wanted to stress.
1: Well, I uh, I would like to to invite the persons who are interested in in this subject to be uh, careful in selecting their literature. So, to to for instance, we have uh, the Encyclopaedia Iranica, which is a very good. Uh, accessible online uh, source of information and other uh, publications like this that now are at disposal. Uh, Frequently there are uh, too many uh, unprofessional or very uh, superficial presentations Uh, and honestly I have to say that Zoroastrianism is a difficult subject so it's a complicated matter because uh, of the languages, because of the problems, also because of the uh, polemics we have. So, when you read texts in which everything is simple and is sure, be prudent, because as have you have heard me, I have said many times. Perhaps I would, uh, I, I have used uh, would, could instead of uh, <laughs> I know <laughs> it is, and so on. So. They use in Italian, it will be the use of subjunctive and conditional in a a very uh, large extension, but this is due to reasons of prudence. So when we do not know, we honestly have to say that this is a guess, this is an hypothesis, this is a possibility, this is an interpretation, which of course should be based on serious arguments. But a serious argument is not necessarily the truth uh, for uh, all these problems. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Those interested in more information about Ideas Roadshow are directed to ideasroadshow.com, while those who are curious about me and other projects I'm involved in are recommended to visit howardburton.com. Thanks very much for listening, and I hope you'll tune into another Ideas Roadshow podcast on the New Books Network soon. We release a new one each Wednesday.